I'm News Nation senior national correspondent Brian Enton, and every week I'll take you behind the scenes of my life on the road, working on the big stories you care about the most. Here's where I'll share all the great interviews that don't make the final cut. Some might be funny, some might be strange, but they're all a part of the puzzle I'm putting together every day to inform you. This is Enton Across America. Hey everybody, this is Brian. Hope you're having a good week. Uh, I've actually had sort of a crazy week and it hasn't been because of work for once. It's actually been because I'm moving. I'm moving into a new house and um, you guys know how that goes. It can be so difficult, especially when you've lived in the place for a while and you've got so much stuff to go through. I've had, you know, those kitchen drawers where you just like pack documents in and throw stuff for years and then you realize, oh my gosh, like this is such a nightmare to go through. So I've I've been doing that the last couple of days. A few of you have reached out to me and said, hey, why haven't you been on News Nation much? It's um, it's because I've been in the process of moving, which in many ways has like been harder than even working. I'm, I'm so over it. But I've also, of course, been working at the same time because I just can't help it. Um, and there's there's been a lot I've been following in terms of the Brian Koberger case, a lot of developments over the last week or so, uh, a couple of new document dumps. It's interesting when these documents dump in the case – we never really know what's gonna, when it's going to happen uh, because of the gag order, of course. We, we don't really get a heads up on anything. Um, and the, uh, the, state, I, the state of Idaho posts the documents on this website, but we never know when they're going to pop up. Luckily, I've got this lawyer in Idaho who I've become friends with uh, who keeps me in the loop and uh, seems to always be the first one to realize when these new documents are, are about to come out and texts me. So I then rush on the website and I'm able to download the documents really quickly. But there's been two interesting developments recently. One has to do with a DNA expert. The other has to do with um, with the alibi. Let me start with the DNA expert. Basically, there's this new expert. Her resume has been filed with the court. Her name is Leah Larkin. She is a professional genetic genealogist. Um, and essentially, the lawyers representing Koberger are now challenging the evidence investigators use, suggesting that flaws in the reliability of the genetic genealogy uh, could be an issue. Remember that there was the DNA found on the knife sheath at the scene, and initially, according to the police reports that we've gone over, the investigators used that DNA and then compared it to genealogy DNA from the from websites like 23andMe and you know those kits you get at home and you test yourself I didn't realize it until covering this case but the FBI can actually go into those databases so they essentially used the DNA from the knife sheath to go back and compare it with those databases they were able to make matches police say with extended family members of Brian Koberger and they say that that is how they were able to narrow down the search and eventually key in on Koberger. Now you've got this defense witness, Leah Larkin, who is now part of the case, who is apparently going to challenge some of the way this was all done and whether this is all uh, accurate and, and can be done in a fair way. How exactly she'll do that, we don't know, but it does seem like that is going to be one of the defense strategies based on them now saying that they have hired this professional genetic genealogist to be a, um, a witness in the case. So it's going to be very interesting to see the way that plays out, but DNA definitely going to be a big factor 
Um, and we'll just have to see the way they're going to use this witness. But she's officially come on board because I'm looking at her resume right now. Uh, it's been filed with the court. The other big development um, in the last week and a half or so is we now know the alibi. We now know the Brian Koberger alibi. And many are saying it's quite underwhelming. Before I tell you what it is, let me explain to you why we know. Because Koberger's defense team has officially filed a document with the alibi. They've been going back and forth with the state about whether or not they were going to file this. Now they've done it. And I'm going to read you a couple paragraphs from this document where they officially give what they say is Brian Koberger's alibi. They say, Mr. Koberger has long had a habit of going for drives alone. Often he would go for drives at night. He did so late on November 12th and into November 13th, 2022. Mr. Koberger is not claiming to be at a specific location at a specific time. At this time, there's not a specific witness to say precisely where Mr. Koberger was at each moment of the hours between the night of November 12th, 2022 and early morning, November 13th, 2022. He was out driving during the late night and early morning hours of November 12th to November 13th, 2022. So they are saying that the alibi is that he was out driving. That he wasn't at the house where the murders happened, that he was out driving. They are not providing any evidence and they are not providing any corroborating witnesses at this point. Let me read you another part of this. It says, Mr. Koberger was out driving alone. Corroborating evidence may come from cross-examination of state's witnesses. Corroborating evidence may come from presentation of defense experts. Mr. Koberger is aware of and will comply with his continuing duty to disclose information. So they're leaving the door open to the possibility that they could provide witnesses down the line that would maybe corroborate the story. I don't know who those people would be based on all the police reports that I've read, um, but it's possible. The bottom line, they say the alibi is that Koberger was out driving alone during the time of the murders, which is interesting, again, very underwhelming to many. Um, another interesting thing, the first thing I thought of when I read this is that, okay, they are saying he was out driving, but remember, police say the Koberger's cell phone was turned off during the time of the murders. They've got cell phone data that shows he was in the area where the murders happened, but then the phone was turned off during the actual time of the murders. This alibi doesn't really explain that. Like, why would the phone have been turned off? And, and a lot of experts have told me from the beginning that that's one of the big issues the defense is going to have is the phone being turned off. Um, speaking of experts, I spoke to Sarah Azari. She is a defense attorney about what she makes of this alibi. Uh, and also Dave Ehrenberg, who is a prosecutor. He's the Palm Beach County State Attorney. Both of them very, very up on this case. Different opinions, obviously, because you've got a defense attorney and a prosecutor. Uh, but I wanted to know, what do they make of this? Um, listen to part of our conversation. It states, Mr. Koberger has long had a habit of going for drives alone. Often he would go for drives at night. He did so late on November 12th and into November 13th, 2022. Mr. Koberger is not claiming to be at a specific location at a specific time. At this time, there is not a specific witness to say precisely where Mr. Koberger was at each moment of the hours between late November 12th, 2022 and early morning November 13th, 2022. He was out driving during the late night 
and early morning hours of November 12th to November 13th, 2022. So he was out for a long drive. These four pages, uh, they don't give any evidence to back that up, but there was one line that stood out to me. It says, Mr. Koberger has indicated he anticipates corroborating witnesses. So maybe there are witnesses. They may have witnesses waiting. Maybe there aren't witnesses. We don't know that part yet. Uh, they didn't fill us in there, but apparently they are claiming the alibi is he was out driving during that time. Joining me now with their insights on all of this, criminal trial attorney and News Nation legal analyst Sarah Azari. She also has a weekly podcast called The Presumption. And Dave Ehrenberg, state attorney for Palm Beach County and a former assistant attorney general. We've got a great panel tonight, Sarah and Dave. I want to start with you, Sarah. I mean, out driving. They say mm -hmm. that he was out driving around. I mean, what do you make of it? I guess I was just expecting something more than that. Well, I'm sorry you're disappointed, Brian, but look, Ann Taylor's all business. She's not, she's no games here. And I think we're used to seeing an alibi in the traditional sense where it is, I was here at this time and these are the people that can corroborate it. That's not what she's doing. Um, what stood out to me uh, is that there is this new information and we know that she's saying he was alone. Uh, translation, there is nobody, nobody that corroborates, you know, where he was, what he was doing at this time, and that she was driving around. That's key because should those cell pings, the movement of the car, the data from the phone, in fact, check out and be reliable forensic evidence, then he doesn't have to deny that it was him driving that Elantra. He could just say, that still is insufficient to place me in this party house and put a knife in my hand. So I think those two terms were really significant in terms of the new information. And again, I think, you know, alibi under Idaho code doesn't necessarily have to be, I was there, I, I was with this person at this time. Because remember, in this case, the, 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 the time, the timestamps go far beyond the 15 minute window around the murder. So for him to be able to get a gazillion terabytes of information and go through all of this with the delay and then be able to say where he was exactly at a specific time is impossible uh, at this. And, you know, they're pressing Ann Taylor saying, where's the alibi? Where's the alibi? Where's this? She's like, here's fine. This is what he was doing. He was driving. And, and that's as much as we can tell you at this point. Okay. So he was driving around. They say, we know there were cell phone pings, which I guess could go along with this driving around alibi. But Dave, my question is, remember, they said that the phone that his phone was turned off during the time of the murders. So if they're going to say he was driving around, how do they then explain why the phone was mysteriously turned off just at the time when the murders happened? Yeah, such a criminology expert this defendant is, huh? He, he turns off his phone during the murders and expects to get away with it because of it. How will they find me? My phone was turned off. Well, the stuff in Ann Taylor's document, her pleading, is not inconsistent with what happened. Uh, with This is what she said, as you quoted, that he would go on drives at night and he did so late on November 12th and into November 13th. Well, that is still consistent with slaughtering those innocent victims. He could have been driving late on November 12th, stopped at the house in the wee hours and then drove back. So it's not inconsistent, but the whole purpose of this alibi requirement under Idaho law is to avoid trial by ambush. You want to give prosecutors a chance to track down the witnesses so that Koberger doesn't show up the day of trial and says, here it is, here's Uncle Stewie. I was at his house right. with him. That's not fair. And they didn't give any 
uh, witnesses because there are no witnesses. He's just going to say he was by himself that night. How convenient. Sarah, I remember you told me early on, I remember you said this, you said this on the show, that you thought the biggest issue for the defense was that the phone was turned off. You found that that was a problem. Um, mm -hmm. It still doesn't seem like they can explain that. They can say he was driving around, but uh, you know, how do you look past the fact that the phone was turned off? I thought you were going to cross-examine me. Yeah, I still stand by what yeah. I said. I think that's always the bad fact. When a phone is on consistently and then is suddenly off, um, that to me is far worse than you know some of the stuff we hear about the uh, touch DNA, for example, at the scene. Um, I think we need to know a lot more about the cell data uh, again, to be able to put this into context, I think prosecutors always, Dave, may, maybe the exception, but prosecutors always come <laughs> with hand-picked, cherry-picked pieces of evidence and information, and we then come in with a bigger context. And so without really seeing what the cell data is like, you know, I can't really say how bad it yeah. is that his phone is off, you know? Yeah, it makes sense. What, what, yeah, we're not getting the full picture, obviously. Dave, right. there was a line I highlighted in this new document. Mr. Koberger has indicated he anticipates corroborating witnesses. So they're not telling us who the witnesses are. What do you think that means, Dave? I mean, is there going to be some surprise witness who says, I saw him driving around and he wasn't at the house? For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I think that the defense lawyer wants to have it both ways. They're required to provide the names and addresses of the witnesses, and instead they have none. But they're leaving the door open, saying, well, there could be some if we find some, if someone wants to come forward and say that they were with my client. So they want to have it both ways, but they're violating the rule by not providing the names and addresses. Now, here's the thing that I think Sarah and I can agree on is that even if they violated the rule and didn't provide the names and addresses as required, the judge is still going to allow a last-minute alibi witness in the interest of justice. The tie always goes to the defendant and then some. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I also think at uh, one point, I, I also think the way that I read it was that what, what Ann Taylor's saying is that had you given us the opportunity at a prelim to cross-examine your witnesses, we could potentially corroborate that he was driving around. I, I read it to mean not necessarily that the defense will bring in new witnesses, but that in the process of the trial and cross-examination, they might be able to corroborate this uh, quote-unquote alibi. Yeah, you bring up a good point, Sarah. You could tell that um, the defense was annoyed that they didn't get the preliminary hearing. I mean, they thought they were going to get the prelim. There was a secret grand jury happening that no one knew about. I want to read this part um, that you referred to, Sarah. It says, corroboration of Brian Koberger not being at 1122 King may be brought out through cross-examination of the state's witnesses. At this time, Mr. Koberger cannot be more specific about the possible witnesses and exactly what they will say. Had the state moved forward with the preliminary hearing, the defense would have had the opportunity to develop testimony through cross-examination and witness presentation. So, I mean, I get that they're annoyed, Sarah, but, I mean, th that's not the way the law works, right? I mean, the prosecution had, right. had an opportunity to the grand jury, and that's what yeah. they did. So, like, why even say that in the document? 
Well, yeah, and that part of her pleading was a little bit like wah wah. Yeah, wah wah. Yeah. yeah, and 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 you know, um, Dave knows this. It's it's absolutely the state's choice whether to go by grand jury um, to establish probable cause or do a preliminary hearing, and they chose to go by grand jury. And I always said, why aren't they doing that? When are they going to do that? You know. So it was absolutely their choice. But I think the defense is annoyed all together, that you are delaying discovery, you are um, trying to take a peek into essentially our work product to find out who was corroborating witnesses for uh, witnesses are for alibi, and you're trying to violate his sacrosanct right to a speedy trial that he doesn't want to waive. And so sit this one out, you know, prosecutor. And that, that's really what she's saying. She's kind of like, fine, he was driving around, leave us alone. Yeah, that's how I. When you mentioned the wah wah <laughs> attitude, I mean, with with a lot of her filings, I don't know if this is just because there's a gag order, but it's almost like she tries to sort of like paint a picture of the vibe right now, or what she's annoyed about, or what she wants people to know. Do you know what I mean? Have you gotten that sense, Dave, a little bit? Like, or is that just does this all look normal to you? Oh, she's mad at the prosecutors because they gave her false hope for a while. The prosecutors were going to go through with the preliminary hearing, and Sarah and I were like, why? And then, as if they were waiting for her to reach for that dollar bill on the ground, they snatched it away at the last minute. And I think that's what she's upset about, was because the prosecutors always had this ability just to go to a secret grand jury, but they were not going to do so until late after she had prepared for the preliminary hearing. So she's going to try to make life a little miserable for the state now. Yeah, I guess that would be annoying if you prepared for that preliminary hearing um, and then you find out that that was kind of a waste of time. Sarah, do you think that that this that he was driving around, this new alibi that's come out, he was driving around, is that it? I mean, is there going to be more to this when we when we have when we see a trial or, or is this is this what we should expect? Like, this is what they're going to say. He was just out for this night drive. I mean, look, um, it's really nice to be able to stick to a theory of the defense all the way from the beginning through trial. What's important is that at trial, you need to pick a theory and stick to it. But up until trial, um, it's, you know, you can throw things at the wall and see what sticks. Um, you might say things because you're under pressure like she is um, to just, you know, get them to back off a little bit. Um, I don't think it's wise because we're all, you know, all, all eyes are on this case and we're trying to read into every document that is posted on the court's website. And now she's saying he was driving. But look, it's possible, you know, I think these two college towns, there was a definite relationship, egress, ingress, but between these, uh, you know, these towns, uh, he lived in that town. Um, and so there, these, these college students were socializing back and forth. I don't think it's unusual that he was driving around. It doesn't, it's, it, it, you know, it's not like he just decided he can't sleep and started driving around. We don't know where he was driving from, where he was going. Right. It's very vague, right? So she's leaving room to be able to explain this further and flesh it out further. Um, that's how I read it. Dave, if you were the prosecutor on this case, I mean, is there anything that would have you worried at this point? Is there anything that stands out to you where you'd be saying, and again, there's a lot we don't know, but from just what we know, where you'd be telling your team, look, I think we've got an issue with, with this? No, there was the one witness inside the home, a surviving roommate who supposedly had exculpatory evidence, meaning evidence that could lend uh, towards uh, Koberger's innocence. And that's why they wanted her to testify at the preliminary hearing. And she didn't want to testify for various reasons. I think that was a fabrication in the, in the press. I don't think she really has that kind of evidence that would clear Koberger. But that's the only thing I've seen so far that if it did exist, 
that could create reasonable doubt. Otherwise, I think that they got this guy dead to rights. It's going to be interesting to see how it what plays about out. Dave? What about the three unknown male DNA profiles at the scene? What about the fact that it was a party house? What about the fact that eight hours later the police were called and the house was clean? What about the, the fact that there was? Well, you say, but you say it was a party DNA. house. Wouldn't that explain the, all the DNA though? There's probably all sorts of DNA profiles there. His right, DNA was I mean, on the knife sheath. But one, but that's touch DNA. So that's problematic. Dave knows that. And then there was the one-legged situation with the one latent footprint. I mean, what what is that? Like, was somebody hopping around? I mean, it, it's, it, I, I see a lot of problems, but those problems can be a wash as we learn more in this case. If there's more evidence that's reliable, that, that will withstand the testing in court, then I think, you know, we, ha we can have a better conversation. But right now I see a lot of problems. I see a lot of holes. Well, I think it's a good point you make that we don't have a lot of the information. So it's hard. You can only discuss this so far without knowing everything that they know. Okay, so interesting to hear from from Dave and Sarah. And again, I brought up with Sarah the um, the phone being turned off because I remember she told me early on that that was I think it was I was on the phone with her. I don't know if it was on TV. I think it was on TV. She said that that was one of the big issues she thought the defense would have that that phone was turned off. So um, they still haven't explained how they're going to deal with that. I guess we'll have to wait for the trial to see how they they deal with that. Um, I want to read you a text I got from Shannon Gray, who is the lawyer representing the Gonzalez family, of course. Kaylee Gonzalez is one of the victims. Uh, he reacted to some of these latest filings. He said, the Gonzalez family is looking forward to the hearing on August 18th and is hopeful that Judge Judge will begin making some decisive and necessary decisions on the multiple motions filed regarding discovery, the alibi, filing deadlines, etc., in order to keep this case on track for trial in October especially since the defendant has not waived his speedy trial rights. So uh, basically, Shannon's telling me through the family that um, they want to see this thing stay on track. Of course, the trial is set for October, which is just around the corner. Every single person connected to this case who I've talked to, talk to and every single expert and every defense attorney – Everyone has said the same thing. There is no way this is going to go to trial in October. There is no way that it's even going to happen this year because there's just so much evidence that the defense still has to go through. Um, but needless to say, it is still scheduled for October. And maybe that's a strategy by the defense. Maybe they want to keep this thing going fast because they feel like uh, it'll be an advantage to them if, if they really uh, move this through. Um, we'll just have to wait and see. But again, most people doubt that this is actually going to go to trial in October, but, but we'll see. Interesting how all these little tidbits come out again. We don't know when they're going to happen, when these document dumps are going to happen, but, uh, this is sort of the explainer on the alibi and also the new defense witness, uh, filed, uh, you know, the, the new defense witness who is, who is now part of the case who does genetic uh, genealogy. So thanks for listening. I'll keep you posted with, uh, with any other new developments, especially with Koberger and uh, I'll talk to you guys soon. To see what I'm up to next, make sure to tune into News Nation. Uh, if you don't know how to watch us, I know we're still kind of new. You don't know where we are on the dial. You can go to www.joinnn.com. You just put in your zip code and the channel finder, and we'll show you where to find us. And also don't forget, we are on all the streamers, Hulu, Roku, YouTube TV. Uh, and if you have a story you think that I need to know about, just find me on Twitter. You can shoot me a DM and I'll make sure to look into it. 
I'll catch you next time on Enten Across America. <laughs>